This is the Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck and with me is Derek Armstrong and Blake Curtis. I couldn't <laughs> think of any nicknames. I couldn't think of it. You don't know any Korean words? What, what would you do for a nickname for this film? I, uh, also, I oh, didn't put much thought into it. North Korea, South Korea? But it's a South Korean movie. It is a South Korean movie. Different w- countries. I'd more do something like Parasite, so like maybe like a bug. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a worm. Do you know the name? You are a worm. <laughs> I wish I knew parasite names. The, the, oh, tape, oh, the scariest video I ever saw when I was a kid was someone pulling a tapeworm out of somebody's stomach. Yeah, was that with the steak in front of the mouth? That, that's the I one I get. That sounds horrible too. So, like you starve the tapeworm, and then you put a st- oh. you, like a steak in front of your mouth, and you open your mouth, and apparently the tapeworm's so hungry that it just comes up through your mouth and jumps at the steak, and that's how you get rid of it. That's like some alien shit right there. Yeah, and yeah. that's all we've got time for. <laughs> this has been a real good podcast. No, this episode is called Very Normal Movie. And that's because we'll be talking about Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Parasite recently won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Can Film Festival, joining the likes of films like Apocalypse Now, Pulp Fiction and La Dolce Vita, or Vieta, and Shoplifters, and lots of others. Here's a synopsis, and uh, all that jazz, which I literally just finished watching uh, half an hour ago. Great film. Here's a synopsis of Parasite that we found. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Derek, what did you think of Parasite? And be honest. Be honest? Yeah, Yeah, stop lying. We're sick of you lying every week on this. The the, the audience they've been writing in. Yeah. So uh, you want me to diverge from my 9 out of 10 I gave it when I reviewed it? You want me to to, to lie and say that I disliked it? No, (laughs) honesty. Honesty. Honesty is the best policy, and I loved it. I thought it. I think uh, Bong is one of the ex- most exciting filmmakers we have going today. Yeah, Bong. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, Korean names are different than ours. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, and they, and they say thing. the they say the family name first too. So it's uh, anyway. So yeah, I. I mean, this is the director who I think you maybe you said this during the opening, but he directed um, Snowpiercer. He directed Okja. Uh, he's directed Snowpiercer, Okja, the host. the host, Mother, Memories of Murder, one other. I think. Not to be cused, ex- confused with the other mother. No, there's there's po- there's lots, lots of films of out there called Mother. Lots of mothers. But mm. he he directed the one with Korean actors. Yes. Do you know um, L. Ron Hubbard's mum was Mother Hubbard? <laughs> <laughs> How did you compute that? What kind of math did you do to get uh, that? Good. good. <laughs> uh, strong sound math. Yeah, I just quickly did backed it up, yeah. recalculated, that, and it's it's dead. The maths boys <laughs> at it again. Yeah, but you know, Bong's films—you don't know where they're going at the start. You never know where they're going at the start, and sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, most of the time, that's a good thing. Every Except for this while, one, this was very predictable. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, it's not a good decision. Like uh, I was thinking uh, in a film that I otherwise loved, which was Okja. The entire performance of Jake Gyllenhaal was kind of ill-conceived and mm. and uh, basically discordant with the rest of the film. I thought. What did you think about Okja? Oh yeah, as I said, I otherwise loved it. I mm-hmm. thought Okja o- Okja was shaping up to be my favorite film of the year in the first third of it, I would say, and then um, just it was too much Gyllenhaal. Mm. Um, You're Jake fan generally, because you yeah. also just said that you didn't like the new <coughs> Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, not because of Jake Gyllenhaal. Though. I feel like you got something. But I'm a big Donnie Darko fan. Uh, but no, uh, back to this film, though. <laughs> I love the kind of class criticism that's going on here, but I also love that you're not going to get it in a package that you would predict or could expect. I mean, I can't remember a, uh, another film in recent or distant memory 
that weaves like sort of such conflicting tones so coherently without yes. sort of um, it being emotionally and or narratively jarring. It yeah. so it changes so often, and I like I mean, the oh God the, mo- the example that comes to my mind in that show Scrubs. Where it'd be funny throughout the whole show, and then it'd be like, "This is the serious sad." And someone bit. would die at the end. <laughs> yeah, and, and this, uh, this really, um, by the time you realised it had moved onto something new, it had already been that thing for the last five minutes. Yeah, and it, it it never felt like it was resetting its tone. It was just evolving its tone, and so drastically uh, yeah. throughout it. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. did you think, Blake? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it too. I. I agree. I think that it was two separate films. Uh, it felt like two separate films anyway. Like the first half felt like but in this. a bad way. Well, I was just about yeah. So like I I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed the second half. So f- almost from the moment that they're having um, oh should we say spoiler alert oh big time big time yeah, spoiler yeah. alert yep. when they're having dinner around the table um, in the house in the rich people's house that they've kind of taken over. As their as their families off at the camping trip. From that point on, it just became this completely different film. The first bit, I was just like, okay, like I get it, and it just felt a, like I don't know, a bit, a bit samey, and a bit uh, the pacing found a fe- felt a bit off. But like, I think that's also just my expectations of wanting Western stuff and being it really punchy. Whereas I think, you know, John's comment just then of um, it changing um, what it's saying and the tones and the kind of film it was without you even noticing is that's probably the, the positive side of um you know the film feeling real whereas i guess for me the negative side is i was starting to get bored in the first half no, but then I it can't jacked it. me up i don't know i can't believe it either but <laughs> you're talking about it feeling real i think what was cool one of the things that i really loved about this film was it sort of have this uh far-fetched demeanor but it was really f- grounded it was fundamentally very yeah, everything that happened you could and believe yeah, it as the and thing and that would happen and sort of um <coughs> You know, it examined real social issues, everything, you know. I mean, it, wa- it wasn't a film like Okja or The Host mm. of Snowpiercer, which was really far out there uh, and sort of fantastical. Yeah. This seemed like it was more fantastical than it was, I think, because of it, the execution. Also, uh, do you want to know what I would have given it? What? Maybe a 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really good. Yeah. It is I'm, good. I'm so glad to hear but you liked it yeah. that much. Yeah. But it also, like, for me, like, the concept, like, in that tone is at points it felt a bit too coincidental. There are moments where I was like, that that's a huge coincidence. When I slipped down the stairs, I was like, geez, that's coincidental that that kind of happened at that moment. You know, the par- the parents being like, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to sleep on the couch tonight where they happened to be under the bed, like under the table. I was like, geez, this is all a bit too conveniently placed. But I feel like... Which is for the most... The, I feel like it's within the... Uh, the, the uh, uh, aesthetic uh, sort of tone... That uh, the film establishes, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's. It, I mean, it's grounded in reality, but I think there is sort of its heightened reality. Yeah. And I think in that space, that th- th- I feel like those coincidences uh, are, are allowable. Well, well I, I guess what I was going to say is I just think it's a little bit of like having a cake and eating it too, because it's like at one point where you're like, oh, we, we kind of want to set it in this thing where it feels real and reality, but we also want to when it's when it's you know works for us, we want it. We want the film to move in this direction. Wow. And so it's like you can't have it both ways was my See, issue. I think that's what's amazing about this film is not only does he have it both ways, he has about about 10 different ways. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he takes I, this film I, in I, every I, I, orifice. I, I honestly think 
Uh, even though perhaps the the experience wasn't like a perfect viewing experience, I think the reason I was leaning towards a ten out of ten, which is essentially you know not even meaning it's only something that Derek and I really care about because we yeah. sit there we've got to review films we think about the score. Mm. But what made me think maybe this is a you know ten out of ten was because I've never seen a film go in so many directions and do it so coherently, adeptly, and yeah, adeptly, yeah, and, and and so confidently, mm. and I think th- this is a case of. He didn't have his cake. He had about four cakes and ate all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And ate them, you know, impressively. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, sorry, Derek, you go. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, what to your point about coincidences in the narrative, I think that's the essence of narrative filmmaking when you come down to it. A story is worth telling because something coincidental happened in it that made it more than just an everyday day of the week, you know? And I think you, you have small aspects of the script that are probably convenient for the sake of of the the engine of the plot but completely forgivable uh, to get us where we went in that film i mean i mean you've got you've got this uh kind of screwball first half where you where it's kind of the the, the events are kind of spiraling as uh the, 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 there's a chain of recommendations in order to get all the family mm. members into yep. the house as the staff of the house and they perfectly set it up so that every current staff member of the house has to be dismissed for a reason that seems legitimate but also for that they can't tell the other spouse about because trying to keep the uh, people's dignity or trying to uh, not have their own culpability play into it somehow so so these this family has masterminded this scenario where they can get all the house members fired and replaced with themselves and completely have their tracks covered. Yeah. And that's more than a convenience or a coincidence. That's like master pl- plotting. And I just think it, it was just a thrill for me to watch that. Well, that's what that's when and I can't help. So I always when I think when I look at films, I always think about the context of where these characters must have been beforehand and where they are afterwards and how it kind of all fits in so when i talk about coincidental stuff i really it irks me when there's coincidences that either don't um stay true to the characters that are developed which i don't think that's happened in this way or i think what happens sometimes is the filmmaker goes we want we need this to happen and so instead of maybe laboring over four or five or six or seven drafts to make it feel authentic to it happening this kind of feels a bit just like now nah, let's just do this and let's just get it there and further to what you were saying can you give us an, uh, an example just um so like th- the couch example that i brought yeah. up so the the idea that they happen to sleep on the couch at that m- like moment when they're all hiding underneath when they 300 let's say hypothetically for the way they talk about the boy being out in the rain it seems like it's quite unusual that he's done that where if they had just said simply a line of, oh, he's done it again, he's doing his classic thing that he does <laughs> once a week, then I can believe as <laughs> no. the audience, oh, shit, okay, this is something that happens quite often. See, I but the way that it was painted was so like, this is so unusual that this is happening that I'm like, no. you, what are the chances of those two things meeting at this moment? But I think that was and a, for the a, most part, part of the humour. Yeah, well, for the most perhaps, part, yeah. that, and I'm okay with it, yeah. it, it, with when the film has set that w- the world up. So it's almost like, and I agree with what you're saying, John. I think he's almost painting with, you know, colours that go together, like, you know, orange and yellow and, you know, like a bit of a sunset, all the colours that go together. And then all of a sudden he just splashes in a purple. And for me, that jarringness, even though I think it was a deliberate thing, was, oh, I'm now aware again that I'm watching a movie and what I'm watching is not real. And so it takes away my 
belief in it. But and, I, I and have to think further, about the fact that you just called me John for the first time in about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> and then further, what you were saying, Derek, or what I was saying earlier about these characters, like, was are so clever and they are like they manipulated the situation to get to this point and so i am like how did you end up how did the how at this very start of this film how are you all in that situation how if you are this smart and you've manipulated these people oh, so perfectly yeah. how the hell why are you in a semi-basement f- that gets yeah, flooded and like, yeah that so it's that kind of idea as well of like me being like where, where you came from before doesn't match the character that I'm seeing now. And this is just me being uber critical because I thought it was a really well-made film. No, I think it's interesting and I think it's something you don't think about often when you, you're, you're talking about uh, film appreciation is what each audience member brings to the viewing experience. Because really, essentially, that's you bringing your... Like, I'm not saying yeah. that means you're wrong. No, But I, I mean, agree. that's you bringing what you bring to every film to this experience. Yeah. Which is like... Like, it's sort of you plus the film... I mean, which is every film going what you experience, but you don't really no, consider right. that of, often. Uh, how each person considers a film and what each person expects from a film. Uh, no, that's right. I think you're 100 percent right. Like I think that's, yeah, it's almost like a, this. I don't know if this film could have been made really all that much better for me. What about the line you just suggested before about he's doing it again, <laughs> his weekly thing. <laughs> Well, no. Here, can I can I address the weekly thing? Yeah, yeah. The reason why he was camping outside is because they had to tra- cancel their camping trip, and he still wanted to sleep in a tent that night. So I think that actually adds uh, up. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but even a line like that, like yeah, and uh, but like again, some of that stuff went over my head as well. So you know, big spoiler alert at because I saw it with my housemate at the very end when he's you know the dad's trying to get the car key so he can take his son to the hospital. My housemate pointed out because I was like, that is so selfish, you know that. The father's only more cares more about his son, even though all his son has done is fainted, and someone is dying and has been stabbed. But she reminded me it's because of he's had seizures, and you've only yeah. got that fifteen minute window. So obviously there were there were points of this film that's that probably I missed. That, 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 that someone put into their head. Yeah. it's probably not really. I real, thought the but kid had been stabbed point. as well, like through the other person. Nah. Ah. So oh, no, no, he fainted. He fainted because he saw the ghost again. Yeah. He saw the guy from the basement. He was who was the ghost that he'd True. seen earlier in the yeah. film, and oh, so he fainted. I need to see this movie again. Yeah, yeah. This is, I, I, what I liked about your review, Derek, was the uh, when you're talking about uh, this is the sort of movie you just say you to everyone you have to go and see this movie, yeah. and they're going. You don't want to say too much about it, right? Oh, but but I, I think yeah. as I was watching it, I was just thinking it's one of the f- first movies in a long time. I just was just reeling off people in my head who I couldn't wait to tell <laughs> to yeah. go and see Parasite. Yeah. And I think that's a mark, like, a mark of a really like special movie. And, and, and such. this movie is so unique. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it's really not like movies you see all the well, time. Well, let's talk yeah. about that dividing point too. I love, the, so the, divi- the dividing point in the film is when the, fam- the rich family goes out of town and... They um, and so the mother of the of the poor family, who's now the housekeeper, invites all of her family over to enjoy the house for the weekend and to drink alcohol, which I didn't know how they were going to get, you know, excuse excuse the fact that they had consumed all of their nice alcohol. But I guess they weren't worried about that at the moment. But then has this great line of demarcation because the fired housekeeper comes back because she left something in the house. And you're like, what is this? What's going on? She looks all bedraggled and everything, and it's raining outside. And then this whole second part of the narrative opens up where you discover there's a 
there's a bunker in the basement mm. and this woman's husband is living mm. in the bunker in the basement See, you that, know it's like it's I, crazy and you're like what am i watching I, here? I love that there were so many amazing <laughs> moments in that lead up to that like the bit when the old housekeeper's about to walk down she's like what's down there and there's this is yeah. a creepy moment where she turns around she's like do you want to come down with me mm. yeah. and you're like where the fuck is this going <laughs> yeah, like, right and you come down and she's 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 parallel to the floor mm. trying to push the bookcase yeah. out of the way and you're like what is she doing yeah <laughs> yeah and like that yeah. was i love that i think that's almost my favorite thing in films is when they i have an expectation of where things are going and then they really just jar me off into a different direction. And that's especially Bong's speciality. That's yeah. what he does best. Especially in this when, like, you know, the the father, you know, it's, you know, not paying attention on the road, and you know, he he slaps his wife's um, ass in front of like, and I'm like, he is gonna overdo this and get caught, and the whole thing is gonna become untangled. Mm. And then it's just like, nah, we suggested that this is where it's going, and it's completely it, taking. And there were direction. there were so many ways it suggested it was going, and you were like, okay. Yeah. You know, and there was a few differences, like it's going to go this way or this way or both. And it really, really almost emphasized that it was going a certain way and then just didn't. Yeah. At yeah. all. Yeah. 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 Which is, yeah. And that, like, yeah. And my only, my other thought is that Bong, obviously, he did it in Snowpiercer as well. He has some really interesting ideas on class. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I guess That's I huge wanted... in this film, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I wanted him to just take those ideas even a bit further in this as well like i think he took him pretty far i don't think it's a subtle he doesn't want to be on the nose but i I don't think he said anything in this that he didn't really say in snowpiercer it was just re re repackaged or re well if you want to argue that he's the same filmmaker revisiting certain themes i can give you one other so did you guys see mother his film from 2009 no i've only seen i've seen four or five of his films one of the central so the uh there's a it's about a murder and the person who's who's murdered in the film is thrown is is hit in the head by a big chunk of rock and that big chunk of rock comes back in this film and is a central has a plays a central role in the climax yeah. of the film so it's that's what i that's what i think is kind of endearing about watching a filmmaker whose films a lot of films you've seen you see the signature touches you see the fact that whether they mean to or not they return to these same um, thematic interests over time. I mean, that's just a, a small detail, but the big detail is what you're saying. He's still trying to work through the haves and the have-nots that he yeah. was working through in Snowpiercer. Yeah. And I think he does it far more skillfully here than and in he Snowpiercer. Cer- he certainly wouldn't be the first director to revisit. I mean, like, most filmmakers, you know, who have been around a long time, including, you know, some of the best. It's pretty... Re- I mean, Ingmar Bergen was, you know, made countless films that, you know, echoed his other films. Sure. Would he... Would he not Woody Harrelson, Woody Allen has mm. you know been writing the same film since the seventies. Wes Anderson, yeah, Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. But Martin Scorsese's like yeah. you know Casino was essentially just a grander, grander, yep. longer version of Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, for me, it's just probably the, I think maybe he doesn't he doesn't look at the upper class with as much um, of an open mind as I would hope. Oh well, he d- now he's. I, I think he's on the side of the working man here. But um, one of the thing, one of the details I loved about it too is that what that the the this f- grifter family who you know is shady and they get up to all sorts of uh, you know misdeeds. They're still they still have a ton of dignity and they're able to take a lot. But what it pushes the guy over the edge at the end is this recurring thing about how he says this man smells like a homeless person. That the family, they all have this smell of their semi basement, and they smell like a homeless but person, and that and 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 that is like cutting to the core of like 
class difference. Like you think someone's you, you, you're willing to be openly nice to someone and you have all the ways, you know, to be openly nice, but you can't stand the way they smell. And but it you know gives what you away. twisted about that in that scene where um, the, the uh, affluent couple were getting it on on the couch. Weren't they turning each other on uh, with the sort of like um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, referencing sort of like um, using uh, uh, the working class as a bit of a, a gimmick for sex? Yeah. Could um, be, yeah. Referring to like the guy who got fired. Yeah. Um, the other driver who potentially had a drug, or their theory, uh, yes. a drug um, addict kind of girl in the car who left their pen. Well, that's the yeah, thing. getting turned on by that yeah. sort of like that working class Which vibe, was really yeah. interesting, but it was, I guess it was just, um, I just think there's a, I don't know. But that's what I love about the... A naivety and an ignorance to how he, how he talks about... But what I love class. about the Park family, which is the rich family... Is that they know they can't be openly um, disgusted with people that are below their station. Like they do all they they do and say all the right things for mo- for the most part because they really do believe that they're good people. And so they're not these caricatures of ugly rich people. They like genuinely. I think that mother she's a bit dim, but she's a sweet person. The father is a powerful businessman, but he has genuine yeah. you know empathy well, but but they're betrayed by these little details of their upbringing and their snobbishness that they can't get around yeah but the other, so for me i guess the other family was so complex and so gray and interesting to look at that in comparison the park family just looked a bit like caricatures they i, just did, didn't, I look, didn't think that they just didn't look as well written as the other family yeah, and I, that I for me was too. a bit like yeah I feel like again this is just me pushing for more excellence is like just go go further and push that idea further and you make those bloody excellence <laughs> pusher <laughs> oh we we hate excellence no excellence <laughs> yeah no excellence that's all we had, uh, we're about here at the river yeah. last <laughs> i can't remember the last excellent podcast we recorded yeah uh, it would be a long time ago mm. That was back in the day with uh, yeah. Zoe, I would say. She yeah, was. Oh, Zoe. Oh, Zoe. Mm. She's still alive. She is she's still not alive but she's in, not here. Uh, in London. <laughs> actually, uh, speaking of uh, alive, uh, we're actually celebrating uh, this podcast. Uh, Derek's 200th review for Real Good. Yeah. <laughs> so we bought some shit. Well, we're a bit late. Well, I'm up to 204 now, so. And you'll keep writing them until <laughs> I tell you to stop. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, anyway, if you, uh, uh, if you, Thank oh, you. dear listeners, uh, we'll expect your uh, uh, emails of congratulations to uh, flood the inbox. Gift cards, you know, gift it's, cards, that's fine. Just you know. cash, uh, uh, yeah. envelopes yeah. filled with cash or drugs. Send it to 1450 <laughs> Baker Street. Yep. In um, and, um, and we'll thank you for them. Uh, thank you. We're going to move on to top, t- top three. Yeah, sure. Uh, Derek wanted to do top three Korean movies. Yeah. And... Is was astonished. Uh, okay, I have seen quite a few Korean movies, but not that many, and they're all by the same two directors essentially. But you could still pick three. I don't know. I feel like you know. I I, I feel like I would. I didn't want to pick Old Boy. You know what I mean? Old Boy is good. I wouldn't it have. P- good. I wouldn't have picked Old Boy. Old actually. Boy is good. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have enough not yeah. to pick Old Boy. And I, I feel like Old Boy is just an, it, it, anyone could have picked Old Boy. Sure. You know? Um, so I Josh doesn't like things that are popular. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is I great like too. I like pizza. <laughs> I like the Matrix. Uh, uh, I like heaps of shit that's popular. Me? Uh, I'm s- uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on both counts. <laughs> the jury's still out. The jury's okay. still out. Blake. Top three. Uh, do you want to run us? I'll explain it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we. So given that Bong is a master of film of wildly divergent tones, 
we said, oh, what other films have we seen that we love that have wildly divergent tones? Yeah. Um, and I actually came up with a list of about eight, which I didn't actually choose the three until I got here. So um, I'm going to just go with them. I, I don't even know if this is the right order for go them, for it, but man. I'm going for it. You've got this. So the, the first one is an old school one, 1940. We're going way back. The Great Dictator. Have you seen it? Yep. Charlie Chaplin's film about Hitler. Mm. Good speech. And well, that's what I'm. That's that's the whole thing. Ninety percent of this film is basically a flat-out comedy. The last ten minutes are a damn earnest speech against fascism. You know, and that <laughs> completely w- works as a shift. You can pl- get completely caught up in it, even though the previous two hours almost have been uh, a typical Chaplin comedy. I love. I love the film. So then uh, my second choice was In Bruges, Martin, Martin McDonough's oh, film. Oh, one of my all-time favorites. You like that so, one, don't you? Yeah, like I, l- I love In Bruges. And what? Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. yeah. Very it, good. In Bruges has crazy uh, scenes of people with midgets doing... <laughs> Doing is like doing right drugs. Word? Sorry, the midget is definitely not the right word. <laughs> Sorry, L- little little people, <laughs> little people. You you can edit this out. Uh, <laughs> little people. So the, uh, it's it's got a lot of slapstick scenes. Two hundred and four and out. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly, <laughs> the end. You uh, but, racist. <laughs> um, <laughs> please forgive me. You can you cannot send the gift cards. Um, <laughs> so, but it's also. The, 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 the characters at the center of the film, one of them struggling over accidentally killing a child. Mm. You know, it's like those scenes are really full of sorrow, but there's a ton of humor in the film, too. Somehow it all works. I don't know how. My number one choice is Shaun of the Dead. And Shaun of Very the Dead, good. again, mostly a comedy, mostly a zombie comedy. The scene where Bill Nye, his stepfather, dies in the backseat of the car, suddenly it gets completely emotional for about three minutes completely you completely buy it and then it returns to being a comedy again i mean i don't know how edgar wright i still don't know how he pulled off putting that scene in there but that scene is a powerhouse scene and it really I works still don't like edgar wright's movies at all and okay. i no, no, but i must be wrong like because everyone loves them it's i i really what's like you were saying before you know people bringing themselves to the film and Possibly, yeah. yeah. But like, I, I, I just never. I, it, it really bothers me when something is is so enjoyed by so many people, and I just can't see it because I feel like I'm missing out. You have to embrace like it. Popular. Everyone's got those things. You got to embrace it. It's all right. No, I, I'll <laughs> take this to the grave. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's your name again, Blakey? Yes. Your top three. Uh, my top three um, is uh, number three is also an oldie one. Is Easy Rider. Um, oh. I really love that film, and that film uh, really starts as like a, <laughs> like a. I didn't get it when I watched it, and I have only watched it that one time. <laughs> <laughs> what didn't you get? Uh, all of it. I don't <laughs> know. Anyway, go on. Well, it's awesome because you know. Um, you that need was to take more acid, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was so. Uh, Dennis Hoffman uh, was Hopper. Fi- uh, Hopper, sorry, <laughs> not Hoffman. Uh, Dennis Hopper was. It's uh, also the t- start of a period in Hollywood where. Things were really changing, um, where they were embracing um, young and upcoming talent and giving them money to take chances on films. Have you read Easy Rider? Yes, I was just thinking about that. (laughs) Um, And so this film is fantastic because at the start, it looks like it's just about these two characters going on a road trip, um, which it is for the most part. And then it kind of just gets hit with some really serious tones about how uh, people within society are treated, especially if they're different um, from the main kind of cultural herd 
which very is really intense and I feel like oh, yeah. uh, inaccurate depiction of uh, acid in that movie. Yeah, mm. but that is just seems so unpleasant what they go through. <laughs> uh, is that, are they in a cemetery or something? Probably. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it, it, and that's a good example of how far that film comes um, from where it begins and how it ends. Uh, my number two. And number I don't know two. Number two. And it is also a sequel, um, is Terminator 2, which I know that although the tones are probably the same, what really got it's me... It's a laugh a minute, Terminator 2. <laughs> <laughs> what really got me the first time I saw that film was because of Terminator 1 and Arnie being such a badass, the expectation was that he's going to be a bad guy in this again. Um, and so it's not until, you know, 30, 40 minutes into the film where it becomes evidently clear that he is in it to save um, John John Connor, um, that things are different. And then it became a different film where it was about this boy having a father figure in his life, even though it's a robot, and learning from that and kind of having a family, which I really didn't see coming and I quite enjoyed. Yeah. But again... You know, you know, some fathers are, you know, robots, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> and so, uh, my father was an actual robot. <laughs> Actually, my father's uh, still alive. He is still my a robot. father, the microwave. <laughs> Apparently there's a Netflix film called I Am Mother, which, uh, which is meant to be really good about it. A robot lert trying to be a parent. The, so, yeah, that might, uh, kind of you know, ties in. So yeah. hit home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and number one, which is the original film that I've ever seen do this technique. And I think it's fantastic, but I think, it, you know, it gives it away in the title. George um, of the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is psycho. Um, you know, uh, yeah, up true. until, up until she gets to the Bates motel, you think the film is going in one direction. Um, and you think maybe it's called psycho because she's slowly descending into madness because she's stolen this money in, Constantly looking over her shoulder and being paranoid, but nope. You know, spoiler alert. You know, she dies halfway through it, and it if was. If you haven't seen Psycho, don't stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> Come on. So and like Hitchcock did something that I had never seen done before, and killed the protagonist halfway through the film, and it left this beautiful moment when she's dead in the bathroom, where you're looking around, and you're almost like, well, as the audience, well, what? Who the fuck am I meant to follow now? Like, all this storyline that I was hitting in one direction, it's gone. Mm. John. Me. My top three is pretty shit, sorry. Number three is The Apartment, the Billy Wilder movie. Oh, yeah. Comedy, bit of sad shit. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my number two is Tropical Malady, which has a massive uh, oh. tone shift halfway through. A picture pong, we're a set picture pong, we're a set <laughs> And I'll be honest, so he was one of the directors that I watched every single one of their films a couple of years ago with my friend. Yep. And I wasn't huge on a picture pong or a set but Tropical Malady was probably maybe my favourite of his films. Yep. And I uh, don't want to give anything away, but there's a massive tone shift halfway through that film. Okay. And number one is sort of cheating because it's not really a tone shift, but it just popped into my head today. Uh, it's more of a shift film. It's called The Saragossa Manuscript, this Polish movie oh. from the 50s that I had to review for the Polish Film Festival or some series of Polish films at Acme a couple of years ago. And the film starts and uh, a, uh, a little while into the film, someone starts telling a story and then the film becomes the story that that person's telling and someone within that story starts telling a story mm. and it, the film becomes that story and it keeps on going down and you get so engrossed with each story that Russian you, nesting you forget about the previous story and it gets down to the end and then starts going back all the way back back and you're in this state dreamlike state so every time it goes back to the story the next the previous level 
it's like coming out of a dream. And it's honestly one of the most remarkable films I've ever seen. Wow, I would I recommend see anyone seeing it. And I'd watch it again if you can. Yeah. Uh, and it's less, less tonal shift. <laughs> I don't want to do anything with you except for this podcast, Blakey. And you, oh. you, you make sure you know that. Yes, sir. John, can I just say something? I uh, left your number one film for well, you. I was going to say no, but... <laughs> I left your number one for film for you and you didn't even take it. Adaptation? Yeah. That's a tone shift film, don't you think? Yeah, I was thinking about it. But I <clears> think that... The tone it, it shifts to is deliberately shit towards the end. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's a bit of a callback calling nah, that tone shift film because yeah. you're not really meant to enjoy that tone shift. Yeah, like, probably. Like, other than intellectually. Uh, yeah, but that is my number one film of all time. Fair enough. And I actually did say no when you said, can you say something? <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, it's all too, it's too late for all of us. It's too late yeah. for all of us. This podcast has gone on two minutes longer than usual. <sighs> Another reason to ask this, keeping track? this uh, little poop people racist over here and it's 204 i'm not racist i just <laughs> i just don't like little people that's all Derek. oh wow if i'm gonna have to start editing you know parts out of this podcast you know you'll uh, you'll be skating on thin ice am i and Leave aren't i your, already your you know your prejudiced racism at sizeism sizeism yeah, size, you know like we're open-minded people here at real good aren't we blakey sure yeah. uh, look i grew up in the <laughs> 1980s when people actually used the m word so i'm sorry m r uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say McDonald's, McDonald's mm, mother. <laughs> uh, this has been—we're limping to the end now, aren't yeah. we? Well, pa- we're parasites. Yeah. So. This is the real good podcast. Thank you, Blakey. Thank you, Ronna. And thank you, Derek. Excellent. For more anything on films, go to Real Good. Thank you. <laughs>